Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, for the first time, and I'm not sure how this happened, but probably not the last, we'll be talking with our colleague Meredith Ward, NACIO's Director of Policy and Research, about a new joint publication between NACIO, the National Association of State Procurement Officials, or NASPO, and the Center for Internet Security, or CIS, on integrating cybersecurity into the acquisition process. Meredith has been with NACIO for over eight years now and is one of the publication's primary authors. We're excited to talk with her today. Meredith, welcome to NACIO Voices and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Amy and Matt, for inviting me to be on today. Okay, so first of all, we're probably going to be using the terms procurement and acquisition interchangeably today. I think people are more familiar with the term procurement, but NACIO officially uses the term acquisition in our publications. Can you talk about that and what maybe those differences are? Sure. So the acquisition process is from the inception of an idea to when idea, project, product, if you will, is implemented. The procurement process is a part of the acquisition process. That's really the actual buying or procuring of uh, the particular, again, service, product, etc. So we changed that a couple years ago uh, with input from, you know, NASPO and our private sector partners to really encapsulate, you know, the proper terminology. Got it. Fantastic. Well, Meredith, let's talk about our new publication, which you guys creatively titled Buyer Be Aware, Integrating Cybersecurity into the Acquisition Process. Let's talk. Uh, how did this paper come about? Well, you know, this is really a continuation of our long partnership with NASPO. And, you know, I'll talk about that for a second. In you know, if we go in the Wayback Machine to 2016, quite frankly, I was pretty sick of hearing people complain about IT procurement. And I thought, you know, really what NASIO had done prior to this, we've released some papers, we talked about it, but I kind of said, you know, we have to do something different. It was probably the, you know, former DC advocate in me really, really got the best of the situation. So we, you know, started then, we released some recommendations, we partnered with NASPO, and really ever since, um, we've done several projects with NASPO. So, you know, it's good because our CIOs have taken note, procurement officials have taken note, and we've really built each year, kind of built on another layer, brought in another partner. You know, like I said, one time we brought in uh, private sector, we've brought in the chief administrators before, and on this paper, we thought, you know, cybersecurity is such an important, you know, thing in state government and beyond. And we really hadn't talked about it enough as far as it relates to the acquisition or procurement process. So that's really what we wanted to do here. No, that's great. And and so you mentioned our previous work with NASPO. And one of the things that I really enjoy about the research products that we put out is, you know, we talk about the importance of our strategic partners and the proofs in the pudding. We work with them on a lot of these these joint publications. So you mentioned NASPO. Talk about our partnership with CIS and why was it important to bring them into the fold on this one? Well, you know, CIS, they are really the preeminent technical cybersecurity experts. Um, and I think everyone, you know, should be familiar with them, obviously, because they're the ones who run MSISAC. So really, we knew there was no better partner you know, like I said, NASPO has been a wonderful partner over the years. We knew CIS would be as well. And so, 
you know, CIS really brings a good technical expertise that NASIO and NASPO, you know, sometimes don't always focus on. So we were, you know, very proud to have these three big organizations come together on this work. So before we talk about the specifics of this paper, can you speak generally to some of the key issues surrounding the acquisition process in the states prior to the pandemic? I know we can't have a podcast without bringing the pandemic in somehow, but how have any of those processes changed since March 2020? And do you think that they're here to stay? So yeah, I'll talk a little bit about pre-pandemic. And honestly, I have to I have to say that I have seen a huge improvement in the general acquisition process really in the last five years. I don't want to say it's all our work. Obviously, it's not. Um, but I think everything evolves, right? And so, you know, a lot of the big criticisms of the procurement process had been it takes too long. You know, by the time we implement something, a technology might be out of date. You know, we don't feel like everyone's on the same page, you know, all those things. So that's why you see a lot of those themes throughout our publications and our and our work about partnerships uh, streamlining the process, et cetera. And we've even measured the success uh, of the process, you know, in the state CIO survey. We have evidence from year to year where CIOs talk about their satisfaction or not with the procurement process. So, mm-hmm. but what we really saw during the pandemic, a lot of governors enacted emergency orders. And so, what that did, it allowed emergency procurements. So I know we've all seen in the news where, you know, call centers were stood up in a matter of days or, you know, Amy did a great paper on chatbots that talks about this a lot. All of those things that had to be implemented had to go through a procurement process. But because of the governor's executive orders, emergency executive orders, they were able to go through much more quickly. So, you know, I haven't heard of any issues that states had with the emergency executive orders. So... I can't tell you what's here to stay. All I can say is that I do know that states have learned some things during the pandemic, and hopefully some of those processes can stay uh, post-pandemic. Yeah, I hope so. So when doing research on this paper, what did you learn about how much cybersecurity is an aspect of acquisition at the state level, and have we seen an increase in recent years? So I'll say that the most alarming thing that I found in doing research on this paper Y'all know that I'm the liaison to the state CISO's chief information security officers. And so, you know, I ask them, I ask them many questions and ask them for their feedback. And so that's the first place where I started. And I asked, what is your level of involvement? And what do you think needs to improve? What's working well? So on and so forth. So a couple of big issues that I saw. CISOs are generally not involved from the beginning of the process. A lot of times CISOs are asked to, quote, check a box at the end, um, a compliance box, if you will. And that's not really a great cybersecurity practice in states, just to check a box for compliance. So that's one of the biggest issues that I saw. I also know from this work and from the Deloitte NASIO cybersecurity study that states aren't extremely confident in their third-party cybersecurity practices. So that's really alarming because once the procurement is in place, again, the acquisition process continues while the product or what have you is implemented. So, you know, we really saw that CISOs needed to have better insight into the practices of third-party vendors that states are partnering with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. And Meredith, we've been longtime proponents of a whole estate approach to cybersecurity. This paper seems to echo a similar theme when it comes to procurement. 
Can you talk about the importance of close collaboration among key players in the procurement process? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I mean, collaboration is everything, right? That is the biggest theme that I have seen throughout the five years that we've been really working on our procurement uh, reformation efforts. Um, In fact, the first, the very first meeting that we had in 2016, CIOs, chief procurement officers, we brought them in a room in North Carolina. Some of them had never met before from the same state. Um, So we thought that's probably a problem. So the biggest emphasis that we've placed is on relationship building and you know, the whole estate approach means everybody has a role to play, right? And that's also with the procurement and the acquisition process, everybody has a role to play. There are a lot of people who need to have a seat at the table who maybe aren't right now at the table, CISOs being one of those. So collaboration is key. You know, one of the things we talk about is it seems like our borderlines are getting close together or more blurred. That means that we have to partner um, more. You know, in, in government, we like to call it the silos of excellence. And that, you know, isn't as realistic, I think, as we go forward. It's really those the soft power skills, right? The non-technical things, which is just right. communication, talking, making sure you have clearly, you know, identified lanes and responsibilities. So I, I thought this paper did a great job of, of hitting on that. You mentioned this in an earlier answer to one of Amy's questions, but the paper also talks about supply chain risk and real concerns about that. We've certainly seen evidence of this in some ransomware attacks and in the wake of the SolarWinds hack. What does the paper recommend in terms of managing that risk? So this is, as you say, it's a huge issue uh, for states. It's also a huge issue for the federal government. So I think, I know that the federal government is working on this issue, and I think there will be increased attention and and hopefully guidelines in the next little bit. We hope so. Um, Yeah, we hope so. Because, you know, the importance of the SolarWinds attack is, and as we say this in the paper, there is likely no way that anyone, any one state could have really seen this coming. Mm. Um, And that's scary. But, you know, when you think of supply chain, no one, no entity makes everything that goes into a component of hardware or software. So it's a difficult process to secure supply chain. A couple of the things that we say, you know, states really need to look at where where are your components coming from, again, on software and hardware. Look to the federal government for guidance, which, like I said, hopefully is coming imminently. And then also be very in tune to the cybersecurity practices of third-party vendors, because it goes back to, again, if states don't really have a good view into the practices of their third-party providers, that means the state's less secure. And that's also really scary. You also provide some recommendations for private sector partners, you know, vendors and suppliers. Tell us what those are. Yeah, so a lot of this goes back to a paper that we wrote with NASPO, NASCA, CompTIA, and ITI uh, in 2018, I think, where that that paper, that project was really focused on private sector and, and the role they have to play in the acquisition process. And so, you know, a lot of the themes that I've heard over the years is there's a difference between a vendor and a partner. And it's really important for the private sector or third party providers to know that difference. I do think, uh, again, I'll mention the pandemic since you're right, we can't have a discussion these days without talking about the pandemic. But I have heard wonderful things from our states about the last year where private sector partners really stepped up and helped states. You know, and that's, again, a difference between a partner and a vendor. 
So, you know, it's a, it's a matter of, are you just trying to sell me something? Are you trying to be my partner? Uh, you know, different things like that. We also encourage, you know, vendors really have to be transparent again about their cybersecurity practices, whether mm -hmm. that's, you know, submitting third-party attestations or whatever it may be and being serious about cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've noticed that our NASIO corporate members, you know, they really do prefer to be called private sector partners. It's a big part of how they see themselves working in partnership with the, their state clients, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say I've heard some folks call them suppliers. Uh, I won't call you out, but you know who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and they really hate that. So, you know, vendors is kind of something that we settled on. It's in between suppliers and private sector partners. But, you know, the relationship has to go both ways. Uh, if I treat you like a partner, then maybe you'll act more like a partner and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. So what else are the key takeaways from the paper that we haven't talked about? So the only thing that I would say is the reason why we pushed to get this out in April is because April is Cybersecurity Supply Chain Awareness Month. Uh, there's a lot of information on the National Counterintelligence Security Center, or NCSC, uh, about that. And, you know, this is a relatively new Thing that we have celebrated within one month. And I think that just goes to emphasize, you know, the issues we were talking about a little bit ago um, on supply chain risk management. There's a good link in the paper to NCSC about the importance of supply chain risk management. And I encourage everybody to check that out. You know, and I think you'll notice in this paper, there's no one source for all information. This is definitely a collective response, and there's a lot of good folks who are already doing really good work. So we want to always want to, you know, draw attention to that. You said NCSC. Can you tell us about that? Uh, so it is the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Um, it's a federal agency, and one of the big things that they work on is supply chain risk management. Perfect. Thank you. So we have had several other members of the NASIO team on, like Emily, Eric, and Doug, um, as well as numerous state CIOs, and we have all put them through the lightning round. And now it's your turn, my friend. Are Exciting. you- Exciting. Good, are you ready? I'm ready. I like the enthusiasm. All right, so here we go. Couple hard hitting questions for you, my friend. <laughs> First question. You are an avid traveler. We know you had some plans that were significantly disrupted due to the pandemic. Where's your next big trip? So I will go back and play my tiny violin first. Please and do. tell you that we, my husband and I, were going to take our first trip to Asia, to Singapore and Vietnam, and we were super excited about it. And then, of course, uh, the pandemic hit. But, you know, that's all right. We can always visit uh, these countries. So... As of right now, this summer, we're going to stay in the U.S. Uh, we're going to go out west a little bit, but then next year we'll be flying out of the country and hopefully making up for some lost time. Fantastic. Well, I'm jealous. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about food and the pandemic. So I rediscovered my love for a good grilled cheese during, during COVID-19 and probably have eaten way too many of them during the last year. What has been your pandemic comfort food? So I'll also say that my husband makes a delicious grilled cheese. So if anyone's ever in Lexington, Kentucky, you know, come on over. <laughs> the biggest thing that I think that we, uh, our habits changed in the way that we procure, if you will, meat. So, 
you know, I started to think I really wanted to support our local farmers. And in Kentucky, there are a lot of farmers. You know, Amy actually shared something good with me that she read somewhere that's like, you know, pick a couple of vendors, entities, businesses, whatever, that you really want to support and throw a lot of your support behind them during the pandemic. Because Mm -hmm. I think it was, for me at least, it was overwhelming thinking about all these local businesses that I absolutely loved, and I really hope that they survived the pandemic. So there's an excellent organization here in Kentucky called Black Soil, um, and they bring farmers together with consumers. And so we really go through them and get a lot of our meat uh, and veggies and things like that. That's fantastic. And notice how I did not ask you about how we've also kept local liquor stores in business uh, oh, the last OMG. year. OMG, yes. The liquor, <laughs> the delivery guy knew us by name uh, towards the middle of the pandemic. So There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All right. Final question. So your friends and your colleagues, including the two of us, would definitely say you are an open book. What is something about you that we probably don't know? If there is anything. Well, you know, this is a tough one. Um, I should say that I'm actually a, you know, masked crime fighter at night, but that's not true. <laughs> um, I just I just love Dateline. But, you know, y'all probably know this about me, but I don't know if the myriad listeners do, but I love to garden. My grandfather was my favorite person almost to ever walk this planet, and he was a tobacco farmer in eastern Kentucky. So he taught me everything that he knew. So I have several garden beds in my backyard. I have plants everywhere. I'm slowly becoming Wiza Boudreaux from Steel Magnolias. Um, And Matt, you're a northerner. I don't know if you know what that means, but I hope you do. I get the Um, reference. Okay, good. Okay, I know Amy does. So yes, I love plants. Send me all your tips. Uh, I love it. Yes, and I'm definitely jealous of Meredith's giant backyard, which I don't have. She usually brings us in her overflow produce when we're in the office during the summer. So uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll get some of that this year. Who knows? I hope so. Hope yes. so. Well, Meredith, obviously we talk on a daily basis, but I'm so glad that we finally got you on the Nasio podcast. We'll put a link to the new report in our show notes, and people can also find it at nasio.org. Meredith, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you all. Thanks, Bye. Meredith. Bye, everybody. Amy? Oh, Amy's muted. Amy? Sorry, you guys can just oh. keep going. <laughs> Go ahead. It wasn't important. Are you, are you okay? Yeah. Are, are you there? Amy, uh, Amy are, can you hear us? Yeah. Sorry, Amy, I have you saying thanking Meredith. Yes, and then I, I like put in the script that Meredith was thanking herself. Oh, my so. God. Oh, I mean, I could totally do that. All I'm right. Totally <clears throat> with it. I'm, I'm mute, back. I'm okay. muting. Hang on. All right.